0: Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg, thank you so much for joining us. In just a moment, Congressman Kelly Armstrong is gonna join us live right here in studio. Can't wait for that conversation. And I wanna start here tonight, my fellow Easter worshipers. (laughs) If you're a Christian, honestly, have you ever referred to yourself or even had anybody remotely close to you go, hey, Easter worshiper, I don't think I've ever heard that term in my entire life. And that is why, at least to me, it is bizarro that we've got some uh, former leaders that are now saying that. So I want to share with you uh, what President Barack Obama said and also Secretary Hillary Clinton about what happened in this horrific radical Islamic terrorist attack in Sri Lanka, which now ISIS has come out and said they are taking credit for this attack and the loss, obviously, of 300-plus people. We talked last night a little bit about one of them being also a fifth grader when they went out and had this just barbaric attack on Easter Sunday. So here's what Barack Obama tweeted out uh, the day of the attacks, I wanna share with you. I don't know if they're putting this stuff out there to try to make Christianity now look like a pagan religion or what their thought process is, but notice something here. So he goes on to say the attacks on tourists and Easter worshipers in Sri Lanka. Again, I ask you, have you ever heard anybody refer to Christians? as Easter worshipers. I hadn't up until they put these tweets out, but I think what's very interesting to make make note of here, so that's President Barack Obama, then also the same day, was this coordinated or not? I don't know, is it a coincidence? I don't know, but you also had Secretary Clinton put this tweet out on this holy weekend for many faiths, we must stand against united hatred and violence. I'm praying for everyone affected by today's horrific attacks on, there it is, Easter worshipers. I just do not get it. I want to bring this out tonight because I also want to pay credit to the person that's joining us in studio tonight. He put out a statement on Twitter yesterday as well, meaning Congressman Kelly Armstrong. The good news for you and I, he doesn't use euphemisms. He actually calls Christians Christians. I want to share with you the statement that he put out. He said this, if we can bring this graphic up, please. Uh, The world is praying together for the victims of the terrorist attacks targeting whoa there it is folks Christians he's not calling you an Easter worshiper in Sri Lanka these were the acts of pure evil and I give him credit here the United States must stand vigilant with our allies to combat violent Islamic streets extremism we never heard that from uh, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama either in all forms and across the world so joining us tonight live in studio is Congressman Kelly Armstrong and I want to bring that up just number 1 to say thank you for speaking plainly and bluntly and just don't trying to turn me into a pagan religion so your response we saw there from Brock, first off, you've ever heard Easter worshipper?
1: I hadn't and I actually hadn't even seen the Hillary Clinton tweet until just now. So I just think it's an odd choice of words and I think when we work, run into this realm of getting to overly political correctness that what we end up doing is desensitizing these things. I mean I don't care if it's radical Islamic terrorism, I don't care if it's um, white nationalism. When these types of things happen you need to call it out for what it is and not be overly sensitive about how you're going to offend and more importantly as as somebody who um, grew up and continues to practice the Christian faith, I think it's it's important to recognize that that's what we are doing on Easter and we are practicing our Christianity. And people got killed for it, and we Thank should you, recognize that. Fellow
0: Easter, it's just it's so it makes it sound like it's an, a pagan religion. Well, let's move on. There's a mm-hmm. ton to talk to you about, and so I know last night, and I want to set some context for our audience because last night you were in Hillsboro for a town hall. You've got one tomorrow night in Valley City. We'll talk about later, but you watch the mainstream media, and it's just ad nauseum about this uh... what i'm calling you know this nothing burger impeachment report some people call it a Mueller report how many people last night in hillsborough asked you about the Mueller report
1: none in fact <laughs> i actually brought it up to give them a background <laughs> of what i do they want to know about egg policy they want to know about how we're doing on a trade trade deal with china mm-hmm. which we i mean is important we understand that uh... us mca and what his chances are of getting getting on the floor and passing. Obviously there's a lot of water between here and the Canadian border. So f- flood protection is on everyone's mind, not to mention our farmers, our ranchers <laughs> and our communities still um, worried about not just what we have going on, but what's going on in Nebraska. We had veterans issues come up. We had gun control issues come <laughs> up. I mean, we had a lot of issues come up, but not one single person asked me about William Barr or the Mueller report.
0: I hope NBC, CBS and ABC will see this interview to understand, hey, we in the heartland are not thinking about uh, this fake the no collusion no obstruction report. So let's talk about what matters to North Dakotans because you're on judiciary and the oversight committee we will get to the Mueller report obviously because I'm anxious to visit you about that. So let's start with the farm situation. Last week we had chairman of the house aid committee congressman Colin Peterson. He said to me and I want to get your response to this. He said hey Chris if you think things are bad in the farm economy now you ain't seen nothing yet.
1: Well, and we've had meetings with that, and I think we need to get some um, stability. I, I, I think even with the USMCA passing and working out whether Japan were in, in, negotiated in deals with them and China right now, I I mean, that'll give us market stability and places to sell sell our products. But I'm not over, I haven't seen a whole lot of models that bring the prices up a lot right now. So I, I tend to agree with Colin Peterson a little bit right So, now. what's the solution? Well, the,
0: I mean, assuming, because these trade deals may get done, they may not, but let's. Worst case scenario, let's say they don't for a little while.
1: Well, and we've done a couple, I mean, we've done what we can do, and and, and that's not entirely fair. We can always do more, but i we've signed a letter mm-hmm. uh, just uh, last week to the EPA about we want more transparency in these small refinery waivers for ethanol. The, they're putting out their year-round, their year-round um, E-15 rule, which will help. We need to get USMCA done outside of everything else. The, Canada and Mexico are our two biggest trading partners and we need to get some stability in the market and I'm glad Colin Peterson was on here because he is a huge advocate for not only the farm bill but implementing the farm bill and crop insurance programs, supplemental crop insurance programs, we're going to have cover, or we're going to have um, no plant crop in, pr- programs up north depending on when the water gets off of this and it's as important as ever to have um, those those programs in place.
0: So. USMCA, there's some conversation from liberals that they may not ratify this thing because they're not okay with some of the labor laws. Do you think it gets ratified?
1: Well, I, I'm a little more concerned now. Just recently, uh, some more moderate Democrats have come out saying they don't like the environmental regulatory part of the USMCA, which has always been my concern with the Green New Deal to begin with. The Green New Deal is like the shiny new toy that you show up there and everybody, I mean, everybody around this area rolls their eyes at it and they're like, this is, this is fantasy land and this is not going to happen which is fine and I tend to agree with most of that but it drives a narrative that I think can be really concerning and if you're a Midwest egg producer and now is the time, now is when we're going to, we haven't had these conversations, we haven't done this but we're going to use in lack of strong enough environmental regulations to not pass the USMCA, without it moving through, I think that's incredibly problematic. We need to get it done, and more importantly, we need to get it done quick, because Canada's running into an election cycle as well. And if we don't get this thing done before the middle of June, we're gonna have a huge problem with it not getting done until after the Canadian elections, and then, I mean, all bets can be off.
0: And beans right now, it's the time, obviously, when China goes to Brazil rather than U.S. beans. There's there's a lot of variables going on there. One of the hottest topics we have on the show, we get a lot of response to, uh, is immigration. So I'm gonna go through some of that. I know it probably (laughs) came up last night as well. But recently uh, Senator Kramer, I don't think I have a chance to ask you about this, Senator Kramer wrote a letter to now former uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Kirsten Nielsen and he used some very strong language about the Army Corps of Engineers because he wants the wall outside their purview. He used waste, fraud and abuse. Do you concur with that about the Army Corps?
1: Yeah, I think the Army Corps of Engineers does some things really well. You talk to anybody in the Surrus River Valley about Minot flood protection, and you talk to people who, outside of the, all the other issues with the diversion, I think they have done a really good job engineering that. But I think, I, I think there is no doubt that how they have handled themselves on the southern border has been wholly and blatantly inadequate.
0: So I'm going to get to that in a moment. But you say they do some things really, really well. Again, last week, Congressman Peterson said, a lot of the issues down in Nebraska and Iowa are due to cause the way they mismanage the water. Well, and
1: so we're talking about so we're talking about two different issues, right? You're doing engineering in the Source River Valley and the Red River Valley as far as the flood protection projects. How they manage the Missouri River system is a whole different conversation. So they don't do everything well. Those are two different okay, that's things. That's fair. One is engineering, <laughs> one is regulatory, and I don't think they're really good at the regulatory side of anything. So you say they mismanage the wall situation. Why do you say that specifically? Well, two miles have been built in two years. I, I mean how much farther do you have to go?
0: But that's the thing, you had Lieutenant General Semonite, who we interviewed, he sat with President Trump at Calexico and said, hey, we've
1: put up over 80 miles this year, we're gonna do 97 more this year. So. I, I I tend to, from everybody I can tell who's talking about it and the procurement process and things, and the way that works I would be much happier if they change their procurement process and let private companies go to work and build the wall. But I mean, sir so are you suggesting Lieutenant, Lieutenant General Semonite's line to... No, I don't. I, Senator Kramer has more information than that. Our immigration co- conversations, quite frankly, have been a lot more around H-2A and H-2B visas whether it's skilled workforce or farm labor workforce that we have going on here. And President
0: Trump wants to increase those,
1: right? Yeah, I mean I'm on a bill to release the caps. We talked to a guy just today who's on a skilled work visa that they, this is fascinating he's got a two le- 2011 processing date they're still only processing 2008 it's 2018 he's been here for 18 10 years and i think that's one of the bigger problems that we are dealing with in this immigration co- crisis how does well, that happen uh, that's a quite i mean we talk about the border we talk about security we talk about building a wall we talk about doing all of that but we forget the conversation where we can't get a workforce in our ag labor market we have skilled work positions we have people working right here in the community of fargo that have been essentially put in a decade of turmoil because our legal immigration process is as broken as it is so and that's often lost in this conversation about border security and and what we have going on on the border
0: so jared kushner uh said today in a report that he's going to hand over because he's been on the hill a bunch, I don't know if you've met with him uh, no, talking about immigration, but he's been on the hill talking about immigration, he says he's going to have a plan of President Trump this week or next week. Are you hearing anything
1: about what this plan's going to entail? No, but I, I mean I'm on the immigration subcommittee in judiciary and I, I mean I, my first 15 cases as a public defender in federal court were immigration related cases i'm married to a a lady from oslo norway um i'm very interested and i would say our number one constituent call we get in our office is about either h2a or h2b visas so i will be more than um involved in all of those around
0: around the visas are you going to do stuff with e-verify as well or how are you going to strengthen that
1: so yeah i mean there's a lot of different issues i would like to see e-verify or some version of E-Verify specifically related to temporary ag worker visas. I think the first thing we need to do (coughs) in the H-2A process is understand that seasonal work is not really how ag ag is implemented anymore. Um, I mean just to be frank, uh, there's no such thing as seasonal work on a farm. Anybody who's ever been on a a working farm knows that they work 24-7, 365. So I think getting out of the seasonal requirements, particularly in areas like we have a great economy nationwide. It's hard to get people to come to North Dakota. We need a workforce and we should be and our farmers and ranchers should be able to apply it. So
0: some people at home might be saying, hey, President Trump ran and make America gradient, right? Put America first, and they may say, Hey, how in the world are visas going to be put in America first? Before you answer that, my question to you is would you be open? There's a conversation now about because so much money goes out of the United States. They come here, they work, and they send the money back south of the border, people now are saying, hey, that's a huge you know, drain on our economy. Would you be open to taxing that money as it leaves our country?
1: Well, it's only, it's only a boon in taxing our economy if you can fill those positions with American workers. I mean, that is really true. I mean, that is an honest. And the and other I, answer is this is how we solve some of our crises at other issues. We are when we can help other economies lift themselves up. We have less people seeking asylum. We have less people coming here. But before we get into that conversation, let's fill our let's let's actually meet the demand needs of what we need for our farm worker program. And then we'll decide what the policy but is would you, you tax it. the money that leaves our country. I, I'm not, I, I don't know, I haven't okay. thought about it. Anything else on immigration? Because I do want to move on. To we the... could talk about immigration for two <laughs> hours. <laughs> <I'm saying> Legal, <laughs> illegal, build a wall. I mean, I, our broken our broken immigration system is a really, really public policy nightmare that we have to fix. So
0: last question on this. Let's say the dams come, we do find sort of a, a comprehensive immigration plan. Would you give DACA people citizenship for... wall money? I would
1: give DACA people um, status in the United States whether it's citizenship or permanent resident alien status provided but I wouldn't do it until we have a secure border and the reason I'll tell you that is because we're not going to deport 1.3 million people anyway. The reality is we're not going to do it so we should solve the problem. There's a whole
0: stuff here on oil as well I want (laughs) to talk to you about at some point but let's move on to the Mueller report just because you're in the the, the heart of this situation so uh, you've read the entire Mueller report I have and your headline take away from it is what?
1: No collusion and I want to know when uh, and the reason I say that is because you, you need to understand that there is an obstruction of ju- You can obstruct justice even if there's no underlying charge. What you can't do is continue an investigation that you know is concluded once you know it's concluded. So that is my biggest takeaway from that. My second biggest takeaway from that is how we do... How we cover so many things, and what I mean by that is when the uh, solicitor general did an uh, investigation into the FBI and their bias towards Hillary Clinton, what they come out with is, yes, we understand that there are a lot of biases by FBI agents and we and we can prove those up and we do that. But there were also legitimate reasons for them to make their decisions. So if there's an illegitimate reason and a legitimate reason, so that's why we're not taking any actions. Yet we will turn around and hold this president and hold people on the other side to a completely different standard and it's important to notice the double standard that runs through a lot of this because it's prevalent through there and we and and not necessarily from the report but just in from how everything things have come out whether it's whether it's fbi agents whether it's department of justice and it's important that we recognize we'll get to to that in a
0: moment i think you said something interesting you're saying hey chris even if there's no underlying crime so a couple things he says that Meaning, President Trump, this investigation was started illegally because there's really no crime. Last time I checked in America, we investigated crimes, not people. Yep. So is he standing on good legal footing there by saying that?
1: Well, I, I think it's important to re- There's some things that I think are interesting. So Mueller gets appointed in June May. Of t- or May of 2017. So, one of the ways FISA war- warrants work is you have to go back and ask for reauthorization every three months. So, they off- asked for an author- reauthorization of Carter Page in June. And I'm giving everybody a pass from that. I don't know what was going on at the beginning of that. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't ask for a reauthorization in September of 17. So as we continue down with the Carter Page FISA warrant, so as of September of 17, they had no longer asked for another reauthorization of the FISA warrant on Carter Page.
0: Why would they have a FISA in September of 2017? Well,
1: this is where they were doing it, but that's when they stopped asking for him once Mueller got appointed. So when is the, my, my point to this is, when was the collusion investigation concluded? And that is an important question that we need to ask.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is, if and when Mueller sits in front of your committee, one of your first questions is, hey, when were you aware there was no collusion?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be when did you, when, when, I think, so one of the things you're hearing a lot now is why was he in such a, such a hurry to wrap up this investigation? And you're hearing that from my friends on the other side of the aisle as they're moving through this. And I think the answer is because the underlying investigation had been over for quite a while. So, I mean, you can, you can obstruct justice to an underlying investigation, but you can't have an investigation solely based on asking more people questions and seeing if they're lying to you. So you said this twice now. Like you can't obstruct justice.
0: Even though there's no underlying crime, Legally, I, yes. I could obstruct justice just because there's an investigation
1: going on, even though there's somebody's no fraud. investigating you for fraud. Okay, that's And fair. they and they ask me a question, and I lie to them about you, and it turns out, and I lie to them materially about you, and it turns out you actually aren't guilty of fraud. I can still, I, I mean, I legally can still be charged with obstruction for that offense. What you can't do is conclude the investigation on you about fraud and then continue to investigate. So based on what you've read,
0: you think that there's a possibility that something comes about the obstruction of justice that Mueller put in this report where he told McGahn, hey, go fire Mueller, things of that nature, even though it never happened?
1: Well, I first of all, and that's another legal theory that's a little different when you're the president to everybody else. Attempt is a crime. I mean, if you attempt to do something and you don't follow through with it, you can be charged with a crime. I have a hard time saying that the president attempted to fire somebody under his direct control. And the reason I say that is because he may tell somebody to go fire him, but if he wakes up the next morning and they haven't done that, he can pick up the phone and fire them. I mean, the president has authority over, I mean, if, if President Trump wanted Mueller fired, he could have picked up the phone, called Robert Mueller, and fired Would him. Would that have been an obstruction of justice? Uh, they, I think early on there might have been some reason. Some of it depends on when, and and that's where you get into motive, right? I mean, there were some people that were working for the Mueller investigation that I think there are legitimate questions as to their impartiality and and some of their prior service and some of their prior comments. And so you can walk into those situations and say that there may have been a legitimate reason to fire Mueller. I think it would have been a terrible political move. And I think that's another important thing about this investigation that people need to recognize. He didn't claim executive privilege once. He didn't tell anybody <clears throat> not to testify, he didn't, he didn't do any of this. His personal lawyer, which is attorney-client privilege, if there's ever been it, he allowed 30 hours of investigation. And, and, and this has been the most transparent investigation impossible. To give you an idea, under, the, uh, under Barack Obama and Eric Holder, they claimed executive privilege on an email between Eric Holder and his mother. <laughs> I mean, this has been a very transparent process, and I'm glad it has because there are things in there that aren't aren't are not flattering to the president, and rightfully so. I mean. So in, with
0: that being said, if you're President Trump and you know now you've got McCann probably going in front of your committee, you've got Mueller, you've got Barr. What what do you think President Trump is most concerned about?
1: I'm not. I, I'm not sure. I mean, okay. I think this is turning into. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a. This has turned into a political fight. See, um, I think there's another thing that is being misrepresented. The Mueller report gives Congress's legislative authority on obstruction, and they write it out very clearly. I, I think it's a stretch, and this but and this will be a question we have to ask him to say we are punting this to you, and and we are telling you to act on obstruction.
0: And we are going to run. I got two more quick questions <laughs> for you. One, do you agree with President Trump that this report completely exonerates
1: him? it completely exonerates him of conclusion i think of collusion i agree with that one hundred percent and i think the obstruction i well i mean the report is done in the uh, the attorney general i think what th- Here's the deal. Impeachment's a political process, (laughs) and when we try and take politics out of impeachment, you are having a conversation that doesn't exist in the real world. So if the Democrats choose to go down the impeachment road, we will find out where that goes.
0: I think this is all about muddying the waters for 2020. Last question. Jared Kushner today had an interview with Time 100 or something like that. He says that the Mueller report had a worse impact on the United States than Russian interference in the election. Do you agree?
1: I think we have to ask ourselves a lot of questions about how this has been covered for two years, and I don't think the report in and of itself has. I think the report is actually pretty straightforward. I mean, there's some things. I mean, there's some qui- there's some questions I have, particularly in the in in this, in vol- version t- volume two of the report, and I do have questions. But I think it's really interesting how this has been covered for two years and how quickly some of my friends on the other side of the aisle are pivoting. There are members of Congress that, are, that have screamed for two years that they have absolute evidence of collusion and essentially called this president a traitor. And the minute this report came out, actually it started about 10 days before it came out, the pivot started moving to obstruction and that we weren't going to get what we wanted out of the Mueller report anyway. And that was covered a lot. So I think the coverage and the rhetoric involving this thing for two years has been incredibly damaging to a lot of different people Um, and maybe our trust in some of these institutions. More than Russian
0: interference, but we got to wrap it up. It's (laughs) binary. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, Great. Outstanding to have Congressman Armstrong in studio. We appreciate his time.